Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. On this episode, I had a conversation with Jeb Riley, Jebediah Riley, um, for the last, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years, Jeb has been my main tattoo artist, um, but he also plays music. Um, he is in the band There Were Wires, who recently reunited, and they're re-releasing their self-titled album in a deluxe edition on Tor Johnson and Iodine Records. It's a split release. Um, and he's played in Disappearer, No Flowers, and Doom Riders as well. And um, yeah, I, I, Jeb's someone I've always enjoyed chatting with and have been wanting to get him on this podcast since I started doing this podcast. And we were uh, finally able to, to make it work. Um, he's got a very busy schedule, so I'm really grateful he took the time to, to chat with me. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. So enjoy my conversation with Jeb Riley. Have you have you seen Depeche Mode live? No, I haven't. I, I would love to. It's, no, it was on my list, but I think after. Right. Seeing the ticket prices, it's not on my list anymore. Sure. Yeah. It, and that was, that was the thing for me, like when I, when I got to see them was like definitely one of those bands that, um, I had always wanted to see, but had long been priced out of like what I find, like it's not even not reasonable. Like I'm, they're definitely worth, you know, obviously they're getting the money that they, that they're asking yeah. for it. And it's worth, you know, the same thing with like, I've never seen the Rolling Stones, I think now that Charlie's gone, I don't really care. Um, but other than I'd like to, at some point in a conversation, be like, oh yeah, I saw the Stones live, but you know, I would have loved to have seen them like even 10 years ago, but I'll never pay what it costs to go see the Rolling Stones live. Yeah. I think for a lot of the people who are shelling out that money, it's to say that they went sure. it's the, you know, grand right. quote experience. Right. And, I'm at this point. I'm pretty used to the legacy acts that I like, or like the bigger sure. name bands that I like. I'm fine with never seeing yeah. them. Yeah, it's just kind of uh, yeah. I put the, I've done the math, and I'm just going to have to enjoy them on sure. TV or YouTube or enjoy right. their records. Yeah, yeah. It's what's well, funny with like you know legacy act like the Stones, where you know. Because I, I heard that they have a they have a new record coming out eventually, which I don't like. I'm like, who's even Rolling Stones fans? I'm sure aren't really looking forward to like. Not that it's going to be bad, but it's just mm -hmm. it's like just to have a new scannable product in stores while we're on tour, and you know, yeah. and they'll make another live album because every album they do, they then record the tour and put up put out a package. But it's just like, yeah, it's such a such a strange thing. Like I got to see you two in 2001. And again, it was at the time my father was working for like a corporate headhunting firm and they had a box in the TD garden. And they're like, here, here's some tickets. Cause I, you know, I had always wanted to see you two. I had grown up loving you mm -hmm. two. And, but you know, I think at that time the tickets were like, you know, 130 bucks or something like that. And I never would have, never would pay them. Right. And, you know, I got to PJ Harvey was opening. So I was like, well, that, you know, that's, that's two, two artists I've always wanted to see crossed off. But, um, so speaking of <laughs> touring, um, you guys are, there were wires are going to be playing some. some yeah. Yeah. Shows. We got a, we got a couple shows. Yeah. We got a couple shows lined up. It's weird to say that. But sure. It's, it's exciting. What, um, I, 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 um, pulled out the, the, some ambulance, uh, reissue the other day and uh -huh. was listening to that while I was painting. Like how, how did this all come about? The, uh, the, the decision to reissue the record mm -hmm. and then play some live. It started 
probably over five years ago. Yeah. Um, a friend of ours named Paul, who runs a, a label in Providence called Tor Johnson Records, right, got in touch with us. He had done the Moment discography. Mm-hmm. Moment was a melodic hardcore band from Boston that played around the same time we did. Uh, and one of our guitarists, Thomas, was in that band. Okay. The Moment stuff had all gone out of print, and Paul thought it would be a good idea to compile all that stuff and put it out in the vinyl format because I think most of it hadn't been on vinyl. Maybe there were a couple seven inches or split seven inches that, that were, uh, that were on vinyl. Was it on CD originally? The the full length that they did was on CD. I think Espo records put that out. Hmm. So that came together and it looked cool. And a lot of people were stoked to have it in their hands. And so we started to talk to him about, doing the same thing for uh, some Bill Wire stuff. And the last record we did, Sonambulist, never came out on vinyl. Uh, so we started the long process of trying to track down the master yeah, or you know, the final mix or maybe the multi-tracks and to see what we could, what we could do to make it sound as good as possible and to look as good as possible. Uh, and in the process of doing that, we got in touch with Casey, who ran Iodine. Yeah. That was the label that put it out initially. Just to kind of make sure he was cool with uh, Tor Johnson putting that out. And he was cool with it, but he said, you know, I'm thinking about doing the label again. Yeah. Maybe we could do it as a split release. And everybody thought that was a good idea. Um, and it took a while, but we were happy with how it came out. And... That was the last. That was the last release that Iodine put out before he took a break. Okay. Um, and it, it was what early two thousands. Yeah, we recorded it oh three, and it came out uh, like maybe maybe late oh three, early oh four, something like that. Yeah. And when it came out, it was. I think the label was having some issues. Casey was having some issues. He ended up taking a long break and just stepped away from. The, the label, yeah, um, but it never really got the, I guess, the push that would naturally happen behind a, a, yeah. a release. You know, advertising and interviews and re- reviews and all that kind of stuff that helps promote it. Right. We did a short tour, and that was good, but there's only so much you can do. Right. And we weren't a tour six months out of the year band. Right. So. I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure like getting all that runway and then lift off and then it kind of falls on its face. Yeah. Contributed to the like disillusionment within the band. Sure. And, you know, we broke up in 04. We broke up early 04 and then played our last show like June or July, something like that. Gotcha. But we did. We, Getting back on track, Casey thought this would be the good, the the best thing to do, like restarting the label yeah. because it never really got uh, the do it sure. deserved, um, and it it did really well. Nice, yeah. I think we sold out of most of the records. There might be a few. I think there's some. I, I was looking on the iodine. So I think there's some cassettes left. Right, some cassettes left, yeah. and I think Paul might have some. Uh, some records still in his store that he's going to bring up for the, the shows in Boston and Providence. Nice. And then we have, we're doing the same thing to the self-titled album. That's what that's finally coming out on vinyl. It's going to be the full length on one side. Cause it's a short record. It's like right. 20, 22 minutes, the full length on one side. And then on the flip side, it'll have the split seven inch songs that we did with moment. Yeah. And our demo that we recorded back in '99. Nice. So it's kind of like, all right, with these two releases, it's everything we've done. Yeah. And we can focus on new stuff. stuff. Nice. Um, The for the for the reissue of that, the artwork's completely different than from the CD. What was the? um, Is that more what you had originally wanted? Was it just you wanted? It's a different 
mix? It's like just a, a different, I think as time went on, we just felt like we didn't want to retread the same territory. Mm-hmm. Back then, or even still now, there's like five really strong personalities in the band. Sure. And uh, I'm a visual artist. Ryan, the drummer, is a visual artist. Yeah. Jamie has strong artistic um, opinions. And so does Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, everybody in the band does something creative outside of just the music. So, and we all try to, I think, hold ourselves to a high standard in the things that we do, Yeah, which is great if you're the person doing that one thing Yeah, and you get to call the shots. Yeah. It can be really challenging though in a band dynamic, holding yourselves plural to that same high standard and dealing I guess being sensitive to each other's sure. opinions. Right. And it's just, it's probably one of the hardest things about the band dynamic. Yeah. And we were young and I don't think we necessarily handled it. We handled it the best we could at the time. Sure. But you know, feelings got hurt and we, we had deadlines that we had to meet. So yeah. looking back, not, I think not everybody was happy with the artwork. Yeah. So this time we're like, we don't care how long it takes. We're going to make sure that everybody's happy with the artwork. Yeah. And so there were a lot of mock-ups sent back and forth mm-hmm. and a lot of ideas thrown back and forth. And we ended up using photographs taken by our singer's girlfriend's sister. She's a super talented photographer. Yeah. And so is, so is Aaron, James, James' girlfriend. Uh, but she had these really creepy pinhole camera photos yeah. that she had taken. And they kind of, we felt once we saw them, we felt that they fit the mood of the record perfectly. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we really liked the idea of having, you know, whether it's the, the label putting out the record or the people doing the merch or the people contributing artwork being having some sort of connection to us rather than cold calling someone out in you know Arizona and saying hey we've never met you you want to do this thing right in our band that's going to be really meaningful sure it's adds extra meaning if we know the people who are involved. sure sure so it just seemed like a, a triple win sure yeah. yeah that makes sense um the the sonic youth cover tunic mm-hmm. that's that's on there um what how did that come about? Was that for like a, like a compilation or something originally, or we thought it would be fun to do a cover Mm because it was something that we'd thrown around in the band and it had, you know, there was going to be like a misfits cover that we did that never got off the ground. And there were some ideas brought and that was the one that we all agreed on. And we recorded it during the same sessions of Sonambulists and the, the idea was, oh, we'll put this on, we'll just put it on a seven inch with sure. something else. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up losing, <laughs> we ended up losing our hard copy of, yeah, the, of that song. So we had a couple of copies of the seven inch left over. We had to send them to Alan Duchess, who mastered the record, and he he has like a super high tech turntable, and he was able to like archive it. Yeah. From from that seven inch from, from the one that sounded the best. Right. Um, I, know, I had a couple, uh, discography like hardcore band or emo band discography, uh, CDs. Yeah. And I think there's like a, a boiler maker or no shot maker one. Yeah. And in the liner notes, it says the, the sound quality of this might not be, uh, tops because sure. it was pulled from a vinyl. Right. And I was like, man, what's up with these guys not right. keeping like their archive sure. in check sure. and uh and lo and behold <laughs> i find our, find myself like on the on the, the same in the same situation so well it's i mean kids back up your artwork if you're in a band oh for sure well i mean I, I even remember i mean and this is long before that you know the universal records fire that happened you know mm-hmm. 
years ago in Hollywood where like major bands lost all their stuff. I remember when you remember that movie Reality Bites, the yeah. Ben Stiller movie. So Squeeze re-recorded Tempted for it. Okay. And I was like, why didn't they just and turns out they lost the master. And I, so it's just like even bands who have been like that's their sole job have been doing it for decades like you know because you know growing up i always assumed every band just has an army of archivists that are saving everything and then now that we're at the age where stuff just constantly getting reissued and i'm you know looking through the booklets it's always like these photos are all from fans collections because we don't have this shit you know stuff like that yeah you would think that the giant major label flush with money would be putting a lot of a lot of uh money into keeping that stuff safe and archived. Yeah. Well, I think probably now even more now that they've realized they're like, Oh, we can just, you know, farm it out to the people basically reach out to the people that are eventually going to give us money for this product. Again, will supply us with a lot of the stuff we're looking for. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Like, like audience recordings. Or yeah. Something like that? Yeah, for sure. <sighs> yeah. I keep seeing that more and more with like, particularly like smaller or mid-level bands who have, you know, an anniversary of something that, you know, you see on social media. Hey, if anyone's got anything from this era, you know, feel free to send it in, which I think is cool, but also it's, you know, at the same time, you're like, you don't have, you don't have any of that stuff. I have a shoebox upstairs with, with photographs that I got when, we were doing the band. You right. know, someone would come up at a show and say, hey, I took these two shows ago, right. or I took these six months ago. Here are some photos. Yeah. And I didn't think to have them write their name on right. the back of the photos. Right. Um, I didn't think to ask for you know, digital copies or negatives. Yeah. Yeah. So um, It was kind of like a bonus. Right. Hey, cool, photos, free. That's great. I which, appreciate it. But you're also probably not thinking, hey, you know, 15 years down the line, I'm going to use this for something and would like to credit this. Person. Definitely not. Like, no. Um, are you, are you guys doing a similar thing with the self title with the artwork? Are you um, doing different artwork? Or are you going to keep that similar to the original release? It's all new, all different. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. we kind of, uh, the artwork initially, the, if you, uh, if anyone out there listening is familiar with the band, there's like the five guys with right. suits and skeleton heads. Yeah, that was an image made by our singer yeah. way back when, just yeah. for a flyer, a shirt design, and we were gonna put that on the artwork when we we record. We didn't record it ourselves, but we paid for the recording ourselves initially. We're gonna self-release it, and then when we did the artwork, one of the members in the band didn't like the skulls. So we replaced the skulls with something else. Yeah. And looking back, it just kind of looks stupid. Yeah. So when we did the artwork for the iodine release back in the day, yeah. Uh, I don't know, 2001, 2002. Yeah. We presented it the way that we initially wanted. Yeah. Um, but now that we're doing the vinyl release, kind of the definitive edition, we thought it would be cool to keep the artwork similar, mm-hmm. but see if we could do anything more to look at it, to make it look better. Sure. So people will see when it comes out, but it's the same skull guys, but just like a different updated version. But it also kind of fits with the aesthetic of Sonambulists. Yeah. Uh, and then there's everything else is new artwork. There's no photos of the band in it or anything, but um, myself and Ryan, the drummer, who's who's also an artist, we kind of teamed up and each, each yeah. worked on it together. But it came out cool. We're all happy with it. It's really cohesive. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, uh, kind of a similar story to Sonambulous where we took the time and we were able to make something that everybody was happy with. Yeah, yeah. When's, uh, when's that going to be released? Hopefully we'll have copies in hand for the shows. Yeah. We don't know. I don't know when the when the like, pre-order date or release, yeah. street release date will be. Yeah. But it's in production now. Gotcha. Yeah. And the shows are a couple months from now. Or like yeah. End of and April, yeah, 28th yeah. and 29th. Yeah. yeah. Because um, it's Sinclair and then in Providence. Yep. And AS220 in Providence. Nice. Um, are you guys working on 
new stuff? Like, is it, it, so it's not just a, here's what we did. We're putting it out, celebrating it's. And then goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you guys are an active band. Again. We are. Yeah. Okay. The, when, when we talked about re-releasing this stuff, mm-hmm. it's kind of, have you ever read that book? Well, you don't have kids, but there's a book called if you give um, like a, if you give a mouse a cookie or something, or if you give mm-hmm. a mouse a muffin, nah. and it's this whole thing where like if you give a mouse a muffin, he's gonna want some water to go with it. If right. you give him a water, he's gonna want the paper towel to right. wipe his face. It kind of happened like that, where well, if we're gonna put this record out, it would make sense to play a show. Right. We haven't played a show together in you know back then it was like fifteen years. Yeah, so. If we're going to play a show, we should probably get together and practice. If we're going to practice, it would be cool to run through some stuff. Yeah. Run through some new stuff because these songs are really old. New stuff is always more exciting. Like the the writing and like prospect of recording was always kind of what stoked me the most. And I think the same thing for a lot of the other people in the band. Yeah. So we started sending ideas back and forth, little little demo recordings, and those yeah. demos started to grow and mature. And yeah, before we knew it, we had a bunch of ideas. Yeah. So when the when Synambulus was actually coming out, we said, "All right, well let's let's take this seriously, and we'll get together." Me, Ryan, and Thomas got together in my basement. We we're all a little nervous because we hadn't played together in a long time. Yeah. But it clicked. Right away, yeah. Um, it was like we never took a day off, you know. Yeah. Um, and we just started working on new stuff right away. Yeah. I don't think we, I don't think we played any old stuff. Yeah. That day we just, hey, I get this a couple new riffs. Let's let's work them out. Yeah. Was that? Because um, I know the reissue came out in twenty twenty one. Was it already was was were the wheels in motion pre pandemic or was it like what was the timeline for that? Do you yeah, it's, I'm a little f- hazy because it, it took a while. Yeah, but um, yeah, we had plans to do a show or shows. That was kind of always the plan. Yeah, as soon as we started talking about releasing a record, yeah, it was like we should probably do a show. Yeah, but we all have to get together and see what the vibe is yeah. before we agree to that. Yeah, who knows? Maybe. Right. Maybe it's not happening and right. we just end up releasing the record. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Um, it's extra hard because Jamie, our singer, is out in Portland. So, okay. you know, four of us can get together, but he's out there. He has to make a long trip. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he kind of has to take our word for it. Like, hey, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Trust Come on me, out. it's cool. Yeah, yeah. We all, we're all getting along and the music sounds good and... Um, and also, uh, before we, one of the reasons why the band broke up was because Don, uh, one of the guitarists just didn't want to do the band anymore. He sure. wanted to go other places and do other things. Yeah. So he left, we thought about like continuing as a four piece for a second or replacing it, him, but we had already done that a handful of times mm-hmm. and we were just like, let's start something new. So we ended up starting a new band. Yes. So we're disappeared. That's where disappeared. Okay. From. It was originally going to be the four of us who were left over. Sure. Um, so when we started talking about when we, when we played together and started talking about how we're going to pull this off live, we said, "Oh, we're going to need. We really help to have another guitarist, right? Um, rather than hire someone to fill in and be like the the hired gun, right?" We thought it would be good to have someone join the band yeah. and be a part of the band and help out with writing and you know input because I don't want someone who's just along for the paycheck because sure, it's not sure. going to be much of a paycheck. Right. This right. is like an independent band. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first person that came to mind was Joe Thomas, who played in a band called Purity's Failure. Uh, he was a good friend of ours, and it. I brought it up to the rest of the band and they were like, yeah, that's, that would be awesome. Ask mm-hmm. him, asked him and he, he said, yes, let's do it. Nice. And, uh, when we got together, 
it just all fit, you know? Yeah. Felt natural. He and I have, have been working on a pro- another project for a while, so we were familiar with each other. Thomas and I did a short-lived project before that called No Flowers. No flowers. It was yeah. just he and I, and we played a show and asked Joe to play guitar. Yeah. So we had all, two of us had played with him. So it just was like a, a natural fit. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I was... Um... I was listening to the the No Flowers, the, the three EPs the other day, and um, that the, they were just digital. You know, they never had a physical release, right? Right. Yeah, we just just recorded it because we had some we had some songs lying yeah. around. Yeah, something to do. Yeah. You know? Has there has there ever been any discussion about putting that out in the in in the physical world? Uh, a, a friend of ours who has a label got in touch, saying, "Hey, I could put these up on my." He has a, a digital imprint of yeah. his label, and he said, I can put these up on my, my imprint so that more people can get them, but we haven't, we haven't really decided what's sure. sure. I think it'd be cool to put it out on vinyl, but yeah, you know, everything costs money. Well, and it's, I mean, it's, it's eight tunes. I don't know if you guys did anything else other than what's, what's out there, but I was yeah. like, I was like, yeah, this is, this would fit on, you know, a, a record. Right. Nice. You do a, a cool 12 inch. Yeah. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe yeah. someday. And um, what about what about Disappear? Um, that was just CD, right? Oh. We did uh, we did vinyl for that too. Oh, that's right. We, we did a uh, CD was green and the vinyl was pink. Yeah. We did an EP when Ryan was in the band, yeah. and then Ryan left. Our friend Matt, who was also in Moment, yeah, joined the band, and then we did the full length, and then we had a, a bunch more songs that we recorded demos of. Again, with Joe, right. who had like a cool recording setup in his basement. Yeah. And so far, they, they're just demos. Yeah. Um, the band kind of took, we never broke up, but right. we all had other things going on. So it just kind of space grew in between us. Sure. And what was the. Um, I guess it's like a familiar story to a lot of bands. Sure. Well, and I, I think also when you're in your twenties, the, and, and you're in a band that is the, the goal is to let's make this band happen on whatever, however that means for the individual band. But, you know, people get married, people have kids, people, you know, most people in bands, that's not how they're paying their rent. It's something else. And a lot of times the whatever else, you know, ends up having to be the priority. So, you know, absolutely. Uh, you know, kids get born and for sure people have to move and jobs become more serious. I remember, um, cause I think the first time I met you, I was still living in Arizona, but I was, cause I was only there for four years, but I came back every summer to okay. the seacoast area and you were tattooing in Portsmouth at the time. And, oh, okay. I think it was just sort of like, a, oh, this is, you know, this is the new guy who's tattooing here. And then I think it might have been the second summer I came back where, like, we actually talked. Like, I, we probably talked about Depeche Mode or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Because most guys that I knew for, in tattoo parlors, it was, you know, it's usually metal, sometimes hip hop that is is their sort of like music thing and okay. so which is fine i listened to both of those too but i was just like oh this guy has you know some of the similar similar tastes as me but at that point um you know at, at some point you went from portsmouth down to down to cambridge and then what was the timeline for when you said all right i got to take a I got to take a break from music to focus on that. Cause you were, you also played in doom riders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, um, so the, the, a lot, a lot happened at once. I think within two weeks mm-hmm. we played the last, there were wires show, mm-hmm. the first disappearer show yeah. and the first doom Riders show. Okay. So everything was kind of happening, happening at once. Um, and Disappear and Doom Riders were kind of running tangentially yeah. the same at the same time. Uh, Doom Riders was more successful or, you know, made more money, did more touring and stuff, I think because that's just what the people in the band were able to do. Sure. Different situations for, for different members. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 
in 2014, my wife and I had twin girls. Yeah. And that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, wanting to put as much, not even as much as I could, wanting to do justice to the things that I do. Right. Something I didn't have the uh, the mental or physical capability to do all the stuff I was doing at the same time. Sure, I had to take care of my kids. Yeah, I had to earn money and have a job. Yeah, um, and with the prospect of and, and and I did all three things. I did the band and the job and raised the kids and was a husband too. Right. Um, for a while, but it got to be more than I could handle mm -hmm. and I don't want to skip out on sure, you know, two of the things. So I, I said, I, sorry, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it was hard in, in one respect mm -hmm. to say goodbye because I like those guys and I like doing the band. Yeah. It was fun. And it was rewarding, but at the same time I couldn't at, at the same time, it was also very easy because I had these two things, these two kids that really needed my attention and sure, care. Sure. So that's when I kind of stepped away. Yeah. And I mentally, I was like, you know what, Brian, like five or six years, I'll do something again. Like yeah. Once they're in kindergarten and they're in school, I'll have more time. But it was, it was hard early on with everything that was, because like kids are, a real handful up sure. until about nine months and two kids is a, a big handful. Sure. Sure. Um, so I just didn't have like the mental space to deal with other things. Yeah. They were yeah. taking up, taking up a lot of room in my head. I remember having a conversation with you maybe a year after that initial decision, you know, cause I was sort of like, um, Hey, what happened? You know, and mm -hmm. you know, it, you, you had essentially said that and you know, I, um, um, it all, it all made sense to me. Um, but you, I do remember you saying at the time, you're like, you know, at some point when they're older, I'll definitely get back into music. And you were, you know, you, you had always said, yeah, I'm tinkering, you know, I'm working on stuff on my own and you know, something will happen at yeah. some point. But, and I think cause the, the no flower stuff came about around, around that time. Yeah. We finished up the recording right before my wife gave birth. Yeah. Uh, I think we might have played that one show. Yeah. Soon after, like yeah. the the they were born in January. I think we might have played that show in May. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> it was kind of like, all right, let's race to get all this stuff done. Right. Because I got kids on the way. Right. Um. But yeah, since since they've since I stopped doing music officially or whatever. Sure. I've still been writing stuff and tucking, yeah. tucking ideas away. Yeah. For later. Did you, I can't remember. And I meant to look at it beforehand. I know you did the, um, uh, the, the artwork for the first doom riders record. Mm -hmm. And did you do the other two full length? Nope. Oh. That was our, our friend, Thomas Hooper. Okay. Super talented tattooer. Yeah. 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 In I've, uh, I have a bunch of Thomas Hooper t-shirts and okay. stuff like that. So yeah, a lot of, you know, I've noticed in the last 10 years, a lot of times when there's a, uh, you know, various bands releasing a new album. There's, you know, the merch that ties yep. in with it, a lot of his stuff. So, yeah, I mean, he's a, a fan of music broadly speaking, but sure. especially in like the uh, heavier, more aggressive sure. circles. Sure. He's always been, uh, he's always had his ear in that world and uh, yeah, isn't shy about reaching out and letting bands know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. To, to his benefit and to theirs benefit and, all the people who get to see the stuff that they sure make together. Yeah, I think he was. Can't I? I know converged to that Jane Live project like six or seven mm -hmm. years ago, and they did a bunch of different covers. And I think he did one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's like five or six different artists that did that, but yeah. Someone I used to work with at Best Buy, um, Karen Jerzyk, did the did the Ashley Rose. Um, she did the photography oh, the for it. So yep. yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thomas is insanely productive. I yeah. don't, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> does he have kids? He has a kid. Yeah. Huh. And he has a wife and he tattoos and he puts sure. out more artwork than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's, he's not just like 
diarrheaing on the page. You know, sure. it's all cool stuff. And sure, pushing, pushing ideas and creating new things and experimenting with different concepts. So. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, when did you start? When did you start tattooing? Like, because I know you went to school for design, correct? Yeah, I went to art school. I went to Montserrat College of Art up in Beverly. Uh, and the plan was to do illustration. Yeah. So I enro enrolled in uh, illustration courses. And this was 97 to 2000, 97, 98, 99, 2000 to 2000. And the plan was to be an illustrator for like album covers and magazines yeah. back when magazines existed. Sure. And then shortly after I graduated, everything went digital and proved a lot harder to get jobs as an illustrator. I got a few jobs here and there, but didn't really want to move to New York or California where, right. the, big, where the big markets were. So like a lot of art school graduates, I ended up finding other jobs in creative fields. Um, I had taken an interest in tattooing, yeah, playing shows and touring and visiting tattoo shops, playing in, in bands. Yeah. Um, I think the first shop, shop I went to and saw stuff that was cool was Halo Tattoo in Syracuse, which is owned by my friend DJ Rose, who's also a huge Depeche Mode fan. Nice. That's where they got the name of the shop, Halo. Nice. Um, and walking in there, it was like, holy shit. It wasn't the... I can appreciate it now, the biker aesthetic. Sure, But sure. back then, it wasn't really anything that I was yeah. into. Yeah. But walking into Halo in the late 90s, 2000s, seeing the stuff they had on the wall was like seriously mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, I loved pictures and images and seeing these guys make cool images and being surrounded by cool images 24-7. Yeah. It's yeah. like, man, i got to learn more about this. Yeah. So the more I saw, the more I liked. You know, the first tattoos I saw were in Thrasher or skate videos or punk bands. You know, like the tattoos that Mike Ness had from Social Distortion right. or uh, the guys in Rancid and stuff like that. Yeah. But seeing them up close in, like, quality magazines and books right. was a different thing altogether. Yeah. So the more I learned, the more I got intrigued. And uh, I think at some point I said to myself, I think I want to do tattoos. Yeah. But I kept it. I just kept it to myself. I think there was definitely like a crisis of confidence, not thinking I, not thinking I would be able to do it. I knew how hard it was to get into tattooing because yeah. I had some some friends who were in that world, sure. and I didn't want to, you know, go into it and demand that I be taken on as an apprentice. Sure. Um, but I think it was just a matter of confidence and saying, you know what. If you want to do this, you just have to work as hard as you can and stick with it until it happens. Yeah. And ultimately, that's that's what worked. Yeah. Making up my mind that I wanted to do it and working towards the goal and making it happen. Yeah. How long have you uh, How long have you been down at Redemption now? I think I've been at Redemption since August 22nd of 2016. Right before the world changed. Right. <laughs> um, and I've been tattooing in, in March of this year. It'll be 14 years Damn. since I did my first tattoo. Yeah. Nice. It's wild to think about. Sure. But yeah, I, was, uh, I had a job at a guitar company called First Act. Yeah. Working, they had a little custom shop in Boston. And I was painting guitars and doing stuff in the finish department. And then got laid off in 2008. Okay. And that's kind of when I said, all right, well, you're getting old, dude. You got to figure out sure. what you're going to do. You can't just be like gigs here and there. Right. I wanted a career. Sure. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of had an, like a, a moment or an epiphany. I was like, you just got to fucking do this. Right. Right. And so then I kind of like set my sights on, on tattooing. Yeah. And had some, definitely had some luck along the way and had some, people I, it's not like I did everything myself sure you know I, I met some people who gave me some some good opportunities that ended up getting me to where I am now so yeah definitely appreciative of that nice how long because um, I know 
we have something in common, and by the time this comes out, we'll both be former Trader Joe's. That's right, yeah. Um, Were you, when you were working for that company, were you, you were already apprenticing, or were you already tattooing, like, semi-full-time? I worked for them as a store artist doing murals and things like that, and then left to do music and guitar business. So the guitar thing was after that. Right. Gotcha. And then when I got laid off from first act, I took a job at uh, Trader Joe's again, just as a, a regular yeah. everyday employee. Yeah. Stocking shelves and running the register and stuff like that. And eventually got uh, a position as an apprentice. And so I was doing both of those things. I, sure. I worked seven days a week, I think for like eight months. I'd work yeah. four or five days of work at Trader Joe's and then work the rest of the week at the tattoo shop. The only days I took off were to travel down to New York to get tattooed. Yeah. Um, and did that till I didn't have to anymore till I could like fully start tattooing. Sure. Gotcha. Was, it was good. It was, right it was a leap of faith, but I'm glad I did yeah. it eventually. Well, that's the thing too, is like, you know, you, you're definitely talking about, you know, people helping you along the way. But I think at some point, particularly doing a career path like that, where there's not, it's, you know, it is sort of like a, a fringe career where not, you know, not everyone's built for it. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, um, cause you know, I have someone else that I'm close with that. It, it was one of those things that she had to take a leap of faith to. And was just like, mm-hmm. all right, I just got to commit to this and my life's going to be weird. And like a lot of personal relationships are going to fall by the wayside for a little bit yeah. just because this has to be my main focus. Right. So, yeah. I mean, unfortunately that's, I think, a byproduct more so of the to get political for a minute like this the the societal structure that we, we sure. live in you know the, yeah. the having to have a job and work so many hours and everybody's kind of atomized and doesn't live close together right. isn't able to spend a lot of time with each other yeah um it would be great if we could all work jobs and still get to spend time with each other and pay the bills and not have our important personal relationships dissolve. Right. It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, I think that, yes, there are, there are sacrifices that you have to make to do, to be a tattooer or sacrifices that you have to make to do anything to be successful at it. It's just the the work that is required. Yeah. It's like the, the physics formula of generating energy. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think there's a lot of bullshit that gets talked about, about you have to do it this way. Right. You have to, yes, you have to learn how to tattoo and you have to be able to make good tattoos, but I don't think that you should have to eat shit at the hands of a boss who doesn't appreciate you and put up with like <laughs> abuse. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to put it. Sure. Um, and I still hear people talk now nowadays about where well, you get to do it this way and I just don't think I don't think sure do yes you have to do it yes you have to put in the time and the hours to hone your craft if you want to be good right but I don't think you should have to take being yelled at or work brutal hours where they destroy your spirit or, right yeah. your, your spirit and your relationships and your body yeah um, I'm I'm going through that you know after tattooing for a number of years after a while, your body starts to change. Sure. Not in a good way. Right. You're um, compensating for either like a poor workspace or poor lighting. Yeah. Or, you know, you could spend $10 more on a stool than the one that you have now right. and be it a whole lot better or like having your massage table higher or lower. These are things that we don't think about when we start tattooing. Yeah. But they creep up on you and. Yeah, all of a sudden, I was I was taking a walk with my family after Thanksgiving dinner one year, and my hip locked up. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I had yeah. never had anything like this happen, but all of a sudden, I could barely walk. Yeah. And I limped back to the house. I was like, did I, like, what is this? Yeah. I had no frame of reference for what was going on. Yeah. And it turns out, I'd just been sitting down in a stool, you know, bracing myself tattooing people for so long that it had really fucked up my yeah. my hip my whole hip 
uh, mechanism. Yeah. So now I'm working myself out of that. Yeah. Did you have you? Are you like adjusting your posture? Did you get a new stool? All kind of everything. Yeah. So since that started, since that happened, I've been on a, a journey of like trying to find out why it's happening. Sure. Make sure it's not going to happen yeah. again. And that was like five years ago. Yeah. Um, but the things that help are stretching yeah. and paying attention to your your physical environment at the shop and how you're how you're positioning yourself and your clients and exercise. Yeah. Like I go to the gym now and lift weights and stretch when I can. Yeah. And it's not not the same level of bother that it was. Yeah. I, I can feel things getting back to where they should be. Yeah. Do you, have you found, um, you know, cause you're, a, you're a taller dude. Have you found that right. some of the like generic stuff as far as like massage tables, stuff like that, that like you have to look for stuff that's, you know, always. Yeah. yeah. I, when I when if I'm going to buy a stool, I have to look at the specs of the stool to make sure that it is able to be raised up a certain height. Sure. Cause I've gotten ones that don't. Yep. And then, you know, if I'm sitting down in a stool and my knees are above my hips, right. then it's not, it's going to be a fucking mess. Sure. I'm going to be, at the end of the day, I'm going to be sore and uncomfortable and I will have been overcompensating right. for this angle not being right. And it's, uh, so having a good light, having a table that gets me, gets the client where I need yeah. them to be and having a stool that has the adjustments that I need is really important. Yeah. I mean, I'm not spending like thousands of dollars on these things, sure. but just it, paying attention, paying attention to those things, uh, pays off. Right on, right on. Um, so that's, that's, that's probably a good place almost to stop. I, um, this is like my, I think my seventh year doing this podcast. Oh, wow. And of course, seven years in, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should do like a, like a through line thing. So you're, you're the, you're the Guinea pig for like my prepared okay. question. They're not specific to you. I was just like, I don't know. There's, there's some podcasts that I've listened to over the years that like at the end, they do like a lightning round mm -hmm. and then there's silly questions, but I'm like, Oh, this might be fun. So it also okay. might be terrible, but okay. um, also, you know, not only are you a musician, but you're into music. So I was like, well, this, you know, the first one will certainly apply, but do you remember what your first concert was? My first concert, it's not super cool. Well, there's, you can kind of say two. Yeah. First official concert with an audience seeing a band perform live was Joe Cocker. Okay. Uh, who did the Wonder Years theme song. Right. Uh, he played down the street in Lowell at, uh, there's just like a, a big field where they had shows. Yeah. And he played there. Right. On. And uh, how old were you? I was, I mean, it was around the time Wonder Years was on. So, okay. So they were capitalizing late, late on... 80s? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was probably his last hurrah. The only thing that I remember was that it was during the daytime. And you know when a band does the... They end a song and they're like, duh, yeah. duh. They like hit the cymbals yeah. and everybody hits the yeah. the chord. He did that for a bunch, a bunch of his songs ended that way. And he would jump in time with the sure. songs, but he couldn't get off like more than two inches off the ground. Sure. And it was... I recall it being hilarious. Like, watch this guy heave himself up into sure. the air with everything he had, and then like go nowhere. Well, I mean, he was never. Is I, I worked at the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom for a handful of years, and uh -huh. he played there a couple times. Okay. And he's got a he's got a weird physicality about him, anyways. Yeah. Where like he's not like a big guy, but like not an exceptionally mobile guy. Right. Yeah. yeah he just yeah, kind of yeah. stayed in one place. Yep. Yeah. Even when he jumped, he stayed in one place. Yep. Yeah. Um, but my first like real concert was yeah. Woodstock 94. I, I was there. You were there? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, my mom and my stepbrother, well, I went with my stepbrother and my mom took us and she went too. Yeah. We, she kind of like did her own thing. And then the two of us went around and saw the bands we wanted to see. Nice. Um, but I was like there when Nice Nails played covered in mud. Yeah. That was, sick. that was, um, I don't remember. No, that wasn't that wasn't the first time I saw Nine Inch Nails because I saw them open for Guns N' Roses uh, on the Use Your Illusion tour. But that was the right. first like time it was like a Guns N' Roses show, you know, right. and, yeah. or uh, a Nine Inch Nails show, and that and you know they definitely made their mark. Yeah. I think anyone who it's too bad because the '99 show is sort of 
overshadowed this. So whenever I tell people, yeah, I was at Woodstock 94, they're like, oh, with all the fires. And I was like, no, no, five years <laughs> before, different show. I was like, probably the most violent thing that happened there was, uh, you know, the bass player from Green Day got one of his teeth knocked out by a security <laughs> yeah. guard. Yeah. But um, who was your... Who was your favorite band that you saw at that? Ninja Nails. Ninja Nails. That, that's pretty much why I went. Yeah. I think that even though it was a festival with, you know, a bunch of different bands playing, mm -hmm. I think they stole the show. They stole that night and possibly the whole concert. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and there's a mannequin of Trent Reznor wear, wearing those muddy clothes from yeah. that show. Yeah. Uh, for a reason. You know? Sure. It's pretty, sure. It's pretty iconic. Well, it was funny because that really stood out to me too. And I was like, oh, this is one of the best live shows I've ever seen. And then I've like in the last five or 10 years heard recordings of the show. And like, mm -hmm. it doesn't sound that great, but it was just like, but you know, that sort of reminds me, I'm like, yeah, there's a difference between like hearing a live album and being at a live mm -hmm. show and experiencing. Yeah. The, en the energy is there. For sure. Yeah. For I, sure. I, I somehow got, a recording of that show. Yeah. So I saw it and then I came back home and like for the next two weeks straight, they were playing all the performances from, from that weekend. Yeah. And we had a black box so we could steal cable. Nice. Steal, st stole the pay-per-view. Yeah. And so I recorded a bunch of that stuff on video and I think I figured out how to record the video onto cassette. So I just listened to a cassette performance of that. Nice concert for nice like two years after that. I remember reading an interview with Trent Reznor, you know, probably 2014 or something, whatever, like the 28th mm -hmm. anniversary of it and saying that they didn't want, he didn't want to do it. It was just, it was paying for the rest of the tour, that one okay. gig. So yeah. he was just like, and, but I, I also think that was this, the last gig they had with James Woolley on keyboards. And then they replaced him with Charlie Clouser for okay. the rest of the tour. Yeah, and he didn't get into why, but, you know, Nine Inch Nails has always been a revolving door of yeah. who else is on stage with him. But, um, so, next question, mm -hmm. Stones or Beatles? Beatles, just because I don't, I'm not that familiar with the Stones. There's Stones songs I like. Yeah. And there's Beatles songs I like. Yeah. There's, I've listened to uh, a fair amount of Rolling Stones because I work with Adam McGrath and right. he's a big fan. Yeah. Um. I haven't gotten like super deep into either band, yeah. But I've just I've listened to more Beatles because I had kids, sure. And someone told me if you want to play music for your kids and you don't want to go down like the Wiggles route sure. or, or something that's yeah, like kids music, play the Beatles, yeah. And I did, and I was like, man, this shit's fucking great, yeah. It's not just for kids, yeah. It's not just for adults. Well, it's funny because for me, like I grew up like my mom's. Paul McCartney fanatic mm -hmm. and you know she was she's of the age that she was a teenager when the Beatles were there so we always the Beatles were always playing in my house so that stuff is in my DNA and it wasn't you know I was in my 30s before I like got into the Stones you know I was familiar with the songs on the radio and you know mm -hmm. the hits but it kind of took a friend of mine I did a road trip with a friend from New Hampshire to New York and she was actually, she was getting divorced and I, she has a fear of driving. So I actually drove, like picked her up, mm -hmm. like, and we drove and she, we did this back and forth playing artists. Like I'd play an artist for an hour and like talk about like why I love them. And it was basically like winning each other over. Okay. Cause Soundgarden was the band that I like won her over. I was like, gotcha. cause she's like, ah, oh, they're like butt rock. And I'm like, you're so incorrect. <laughs> But the Stones was one of those things, and it was just like, um, it was funny because, you know. Did she I, play them or you play them? She played them. Okay. And it was sort of like, it got me, like, into their discography and kind of broke it up. But also, I got to see it from, I got to see the connection, someone that I knew, you know. That's always kind of been how I've discovered new bands anyways. And, you know, back in the day, when there were still magazines, you know, I'd read interviews with bands that I liked. And they would mention a band that I had maybe never heard of and I'd go mm -hmm. check it out or a band that like I knew of, but like, I mean, I eventually got into Neil Young cause so many bands that I loved were like, Oh, Neil's a big influence. Neil's right. a big influence. I was like, all right, I guess maybe this guy's all right. Let's yeah. check him out. Um, and then Pearl Jam went one step further and yeah. was like, Hey, join the band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, 
It's funny because I <coughs> I went I'll I'll go through musical tangents where I'll like pick an artist. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go through their whole discography for the next like three weeks, like an album a day. And, um, that might've been the first Neil Young album I actually bought. Maybe, maybe decade I had, you know, just, and so that mirror ball one. And so when I was going through his stuff, you know, I loved it because I was a huge Pearl Jam fan, still am, but going back maybe five years ago, going through all Neil Young stuff, I was like, this is one of the weakest albums in his collection. Uh, Which one? The the oh, the one he did with Pearl Jam. Yeah, and I was like, and this was the one that was like, you know, um, it's funny. Um, Adam and I have talked about the the Dead Man soundtrack because that's mm-hmm. like that that's one of my favorites. And you know, they're they're not songs; it's a score. But it's mm-hmm. I think that's some of his best guitar yeah, playing. I love yeah, it. It's it's amazing. I know that one really well in Harvest. Yeah, really well. I think with. With the Beatles and the Stones, the Beatles jump out at you more because it was just like hook, hook, hook. Sure. You know, it's like a tackle box. Yeah. Hooks everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Stones, and maybe like what we were talking about earlier with new Depeche Mode, yeah. it's more subtle. Yeah. Like they're, they had hits for sure, but mm-hmm. I think their deep cuts, their album cuts, sure. The you can appreciate that stuff in its subtlety. Yeah. Um, and also there's a big different, like, I think that's one point one went more soul. Sure. One went more blues yeah. or like whatever pop road that the Beatles were, yeah. were traveling. Yeah. Um, but I could be, I could be wrong on that. I also think cause the, the Beatles had a finite lifespan. You yeah. Know, they were, I think it was eight years and you know, they did 14 albums in eight years, but you know, and people will argue about like magical mystery tour or whatever, but like they really don't have any clunkers in their, you know, so they're forever this, this piece of wonderfulness in people's lives where the stones have been a band for 50 fucking years, like, uh, you know, coming up on 60. Um, and they're still an active band. So it's like, they're to, it is kind of unfair to compare them anyway. Right. They're different animals, yeah. but you know, nonetheless, I'll do it anyways. Yeah. I, li- I definitely like the lore of the Stones. Sure. Like that song, um, what's the one that has the female singer who does the backups? Oh, um, um, Give she, Me Shelter. Yeah, Give Me yeah. Shelter. Like the, the lore around that song sure. is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and also like their whole touring situation and yes yeah there they probably have more stories than the beatles that's for sure oh i'm sure i'm sure and there's there i read something recently online that because they have a new album coming out i guess paul and ringo played on a song with them because they're like hey we don't have a bass player and Uh drummer anymore come on in but you know who knows if that'll you know who who knows what that'll be like but interesting you know um star trek or or wars uh, Star Wars. I don't know anything about Star Trek except every once in a while I see a lo- like a corporate logo yeah. that looks like the <laughs> the Star Trek symbol chevron type yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but as far in the Star Wars realm, I'm I'm a fan. Yeah, like I keep up with most of the shows, and yeah. our kids are into it, so yeah. it's something that we can kind of enjoy as a family. It's it's funny because I my my uncle who you know I have a my two cousins are pretty close in age to me and he was in the Navy. So he, you know, he lived in Hawaii for eight years. So I got to go to Hawaii twice when I was a kid and stayed for a couple weeks. And he was a fanatical Trek fan. And so it was, it wasn't even a matter of, Hey, do you want to watch Star Trek? It's, it's what's on for the, for eight hours a day. So I saw a lot of the original series and then my early adolescence was when the next generation was a new thing. So I was like, okay, but it was never like, I don't know. I, it, it never stuck with me. Like I didn't dislike it, but I think, you know, Star Wars was such a building block of my childhood that I was just like, it's no contest. It's always weird to me when I meet people the exact same age as me and they're like, Star Trek's just better. I'm like, I get that you (laughs) like it more. I'm fine with that. There's no like, I mean, you can't, it's apples and oranges. 
right? Like the Beatles and the Stones? Sure, for sure. Uh, let's see. Cats or dogs? I think I already know the answer. Well, cats. We, yeah. We've had a fair amount of cats in this house and in my house growing up. We had dogs, too, when I was growing up, and I loved them. Yeah. But um, for our lifestyle, cats are a better match. It seems to make more sense when people have young kids because cats don't need constant attention and, in fact, don't want it. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, our cats are pretty lovey. We just, uh, we had three cats and one by one they've all, they all passed away. My wife and I have been together for 23 years. So we got cats as soon as we moved here 20 years ago. Um, uh, And I think last October was when our last cat passed away. So we spent some time mourning and living in a house that had no animals. Yeah. But... I wanted a cat. Suzanne wanted a cat. The kids wanted kittens, so we took the we took the plunge this January and, and got a brother sister nice. kitten pair. Nice, and it's totally crazy. <laughs> they're wild, but they're a lot of fun. Have you ever had kittens um, before? Uh, yes. Our second cat that we got was a kitten when we got him. Probably like came to us too soon. Sure, but. Um, he was a good boy. Nice. Miss him a lot. Nice. Yeah. But these new guys are great. Nice. They're part of the family. They 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 uh, blend right in with this. Nice. Uh, what's a it doesn't have to be the number one, but what's a what's a favorite book of yours? A favorite book? Um, just because it's something that I thought of recently was Child of God. Child of God? Children of God. And I can't remember if it's Elmore Leonard or um, I think it is the Elmore guy Leonard. who wrote All the Pretty Horses. I think it's Elmore Leonard because it's didn't uh, they made a movie that James Franco directed? Oh, really? Uh, Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy. Okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's awesome. It's brutal. It's about the guy in the woods. Uh, He's like a total creep killing yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's set in like a hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I I read a lot of. Uh, brutal Americana stories while on tour. I read Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. I read the road first by him. And I just so happened to be reading that in January, traveling across the North of the United States through the Midwest. Damn. So in the book, everything is gray and dead and cold and hard. And you look, you read the book and then you put the book down for a while and look out like, the van window this book. and everything is cold and dead sure. and gray and hard. Yeah. Uh, so it was, if you're going to read the book, that's the way to read it. Sure. Uh, and then I tried to seek out more of his stuff and, and, uh, and Child of God was a really good nice. one. It's t- totally disturbing, but yeah. I don't hear a lot of people talk about that one. Yeah. No, it's, it's usually Blood Meridian and The Road are mm-hmm. the ones that get yeah. mentioned the most, but... Um, and I think honestly, I didn't. I wasn't even aware of it until the film came out. And I was okay. just like, all right, I didn't I'll know there was a. I didn't know there was a movie. Yeah, me. it's. Uh, I believe I could be wrong. Um, I believe, but it was James Franco's directorial debut. He's not in it, but he. Um, which you know, I think because turns out he's he's had some problematic behavior. Yeah. It, uh, it certainly hasn't gotten talked about in the last half decade. Okay. But yeah, I remember it being striking uh it was one of those things when i saw it people like was it good and i'm like that's such a loaded question Mm -hmm. i was like it was excellent i wouldn't recommend you see it (laughs) i was like i like dark depressing stuff you know because like people you know i i go to the movies all the time and like what did you see and i'll mention stuff and most of the time people like i've never heard of that i'm like Mm -hmm. yeah it, it you don't need to have, I'm like, I know you well enough that this wouldn't be something for you. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get to read as much as I would like to. I really enjoy reading. My daughters are voracious readers. And yeah. so is my wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're in, we got good news the other day. They're in third grade and we found out that they're reading at like a sixth and seventh grade level. Oh, that's so that's awesome. It's pretty awesome. That's they awesome. Read nonstop. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Last question. Probably the most important. What's your favorite dinosaur? Favorite dinosaur. Man, I don't know. When, we always, I was, when I was a kid, it was the T-Rex. Yeah. 
I'd, I'd say I'll still go with the T-Rex because yeah. I was visiting a friend in Chicago and we got to go to the museum out there. I don't yeah. know if it's the Chicago Field Museum, but they have the, they have Sue, which is like a, do you know about Sue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See the, yeah. the skeleton and the skull of yeah. Sue. It's insane. Yeah. It was, to imagine... I've seen giraffes in person, and yeah. those are like probably the biggest animal I've seen in person. And yeah, it's pretty awe-inspiring. Yeah, people don't really think about that when they see a giraffe, right? But to see a thing that's like easily three times as tall as you are, yeah, to see the skeleton of this dinosaur, yeah, in person, it's it's humbling. Yeah, yeah. I was in um, I was in London in September, and we went to the Natural History Museum, and they have they have a giraffe, you know. Uh, they have the skeleton in one case, and then it taxidermied next to it. Okay. And just looking at how big that is. But then they had, and I don't remember which dinosaur it was, they have a dinosaur skeleton set up, and it's the length of this hall. Like, it's this, uh -huh. you know. But like I also... Big plant eaters, like a Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a brontosaurus, because it had a bunch of the, the fins along okay. the back, but... That was also when I, like, it was, like, a little bit, like, crushing to realize, like, most dinosaur skeletons that you see, it's mostly plastered. They're like, well, this bone and this bone are real. Right. And then we've just, like, figured it yeah. out. And then, yeah. Because um, it was, like, some of the skull and some of the other stuff. But um, And then I looked at, like, other dinosaur skeletons that I've seen, you know, looking them up online. And I was like... Oh, this is a you know this is a forty percent skeleton. Yeah, it's like oh man, yeah. Impressive either way that that stuff lasted sure. and that people have been able to put it back together. Well, it's it's crazy just to think of that the the animals this enormous were on the same planet that you know mm -hmm. we are now. But yeah, that's the, that was sort of my my impetus for that question was like everyone asks kids what their favorite dinosaurs. Yeah, nobody asks adults what their favorite <laughs> dinosaur is. I don't know. I feel like we just get we. As we get older, we take for granted dinosaurs. Yeah. So. I tattooed a dinosaur on a lady recently, a, a Giganotosaurus. And, uh, What's yeah, that one look like? It's like a T-Rex, but bigger. Oh, right. I think, yeah, I think they put them in one of the Jurassic Worlds Probably, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's every, like every time one of those comes out, they're like, we're putting the new dinosaur, <laughs> you know, the one that we just discovered two yeah. years ago. You're like, okay. Sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking yeah, the time, man. It was fun, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's it's a it's a rare instance where uh, we get to talk where where you're not inflicting pain on me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>